Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. This morning, Melissa started us off with, a, with reading Isaiah. And it really was telling us that God is sovereign. And, and it is really a time for us to remember that God is sovereign. But, you know, everything that God does that proves that He's sovereign is for you. Because everybody else remembers. Humanity is the only one that forget. The nature knows. The stars know. The winds. Everything, everything around us knows that God is sovereign except, uh, duh. I'm the one that forgets. I'm the one that forgets that God is sovereign and when I forget God is sovereign, things trickle into my life like fear, like doubt, worry, concerns, all sorts of nasty stuff. Today we are um, continuing, continuing a, uh, a series we started about four weeks, five weeks ago, I guess. This is part six. It is the study of the book of Daniel. The tagline is that we, um, how to shine, how to shine in Babylon. Really, the story is that we are living in Babylon right now. In fact, every culture that doesn't put God first is a Babylon. Right? That's really the story, is that because this culture, this, this nation does not put God first, that means it puts it less than first. That means that this is a Babylonian culture. Does that make sense? That's really what we've been working off of, is that we are fighting, we're clashing, we're living in a culture that does not appreciate or approve of a Christian point of view. It's true. And the beautiful thing on today, I'm going to be telling you or get to, get to talk about chapter 3 in Daniel. You can go there if you want. Um, but we, uh, we'll, we'll be building that up a little bit. But chapter 3 is one of the most exciting stories about a scary situation. A scary situation with an incredible finish. Right? So we get to talk about th- that today. Um, but, but here's a few things that... Oh, and I'm, I get to do this. This is so fun. I can't, I can't wait. <clears throat> so we are shining in Babylon... And the question I want you to ask is, what God will rescue you? What God are you looking to pull you out of the fire? What God are you looking to pull you out of the storm or the flood? Or who, who do you go to when you really are afraid? And, and some of you won't like what I'm going to say today. Just to let you know, I, I, I know some of you don't know me very well. If you don't like me afterwards, please come see me. Uh, we'll, we'll mend fences. But I got to tell you some truth today. Is everybody okay with that? Yeah. One person is ready for the truth. That's fine. It's not going to stop me because I'm that sort of guy. Hopefully this is big enough. I am positive that you will find yourself in this story. You're going to find yourself. You will recognize a clash in cultures. In fact, you're going to be in one camp or another. That's how this works. There's only two choices. Only two, you're going to be in one of the camps. So I want this story not to be me just saying, let me tell you what's happening. I want, to, I want you to fit right in to where you're at. You're going to be in one of them. I'll make sure of that. I'm confident that you will see how this Babylonian culture impacts you today. So that's part of my job. And the third is, I'm hopeful that you will decide to choose God's culture rather than the, the God's culture. That's my hope. Just let you straight up. I'm telling you my agenda. I don't want to hide anything. Okay. Come on, you can do this. Oh, ah, two. Okay, so, um, so the, I want to do a little bit of review because we're in chapter three. Well, first of all, does anybody need a Bible? So we are, we are using the New Living Translation. If you have an app, that's what we're using. And Glenn has got a bunch of books out there. He'll, he's ready to throw them, to throw them literally at you. Um, if you, by the way, if you need a Bible and, and this makes sense, you can keep it. It's really our gift to you. It's our pleasure to, to share God's Word. But the New Living Translation, if you want to jump ahead, it's on page 727, coming out of the sky. Okay, 
That's why I knew it. So the review is this. There's chapter 3, but before that, there's always chapter 1 and chapter 2. So I want to give you a review in case you weren't here earlier for the, the five uh, messages before. Okay, so, um, while, so there, we're really talking about four boys. Four boys specifically, but um, we're talking about four boys. Their names are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Okay, and and what happened is uh, there, there there was a Babylonian um, the, the Babylonian Empire came over and basically took over the the kingdom of Judah and took about twenty thousand people from the their kingdom and said this is the best and brightest we can use these people, and what they did is the Babylonians decided the best way to do that is we're going to grab these people and change their names. And then we're going to inculcate them. We're going to teach them our ways. Right? And we're going to see that, that, that uh, let's see, did I go too far? I'm wondering. Let me tell you. No, I did go too far. No wonder I couldn't find it. I thought, this is, so the Babylonian Empire uh, captured a kingdom of Judah, brought back about 20,000 people. Uh, the young men were likely became eunuchs, if, if you know what that means, that is, that's uh, an operation uh, that changes gender. Um, <laughs> they, um, they renamed them into, to honor Babylonian gods. Uh, they placed them in a three-year training period. So they had a intensive training about language and culture and wisdom. And the, the four boys, uh, they determined, even while they were in that process, that they would put God's laws ahead of, of everything else. So they and God, they found favor, and they were able to eat culturally what the Jews should eat. So God honored them, right? So that's cool. And I, that's a, they found favor with those in charge, and God gave them special abilities uh, of aptitude, understanding, and interpreting dreams. So this is just what we've already gone to. So I want to know the want you to know the characters, um, and then while Babylon changed their names and dreams. Uh, they didn't, the, the boys didn't change their identity. So I said their names were, were Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. And the Babylonians' names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And those names specifically, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, specifically had to do with gods that the Babylonians worshipped. So their names were saying, when they said, hey, moon worshiper, Hananiah says, God is faithful. Because that's what his name meant. Right? Can you imagine if your name changed? Some of you, coming into this cult, country, your name was changed. I know some of you. Your name was changed when you came over here. But it didn't change who you were. It didn't change your identity. But our culture, the culture of the Babylonians were designed to change people's identity. That's what they wanted. They wanted to break them down and build them up their way. Um, and number three, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, placed uh, Daniel, Hananiah, and Mishael, and Azariah in places of authority because they were so impressive. He was impressed because these guys learned quickly and they were gifted, okay? So, uh, and then... All of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar had this troubling dream, and he made a deal. He said, listen, you, uh, to all his counselors, they call them astrologers, Chaldeans, magicians, depending, this is where the word magi came, if you know the story of Jesus and his birth, this is where it comes from. These are basically wise guys, I mean, wise men, right? And, and so... They, Nebuchadnezzar had a, a troubling dream and he said, listen, so that I don't get ripped off by, by jerks who are trying to tell me lies, he said, I, I'm only going to know that you know how to interpret the dream if you tell me the dream first. That's pretty tricky. And Daniel was given the revelation by God to speak what the dream was and actually reveal the dream. So Daniel actually became a a savior, as it were, for like 600 people. And Nebuchadnezzar bowed down and said, man, your God is all that in a bag of chips. And he raised Daniel up. And Daniel became a ruler. And, and, and the Hananiah 
and Mishael and Azariah became leaders provincially, right? Because they were, they were recognized as God was good. Now, one of the visions, just to let you know, before I get into my story, the vision, the dream that, that Nebuchadnezzar had was that there was a statue and the top, the head, was pure gold. And Daniel told uh, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, that that represents your kingdom. And then down the road, there would be kingdoms of different, you know, different calibers, but not as good as yours, right? And so Nebuchadnezzar took that from God and was very humbled. Oh, maybe not. Maybe that wasn't the story. Let's see what Mr. King Nebuchadnezzar took with that dream. So here's, we're in chapter 3, page, uh, yeah, we don't need to, page 727. Okay, here we go. All right, chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent a message to his high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officers to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officers came and stood before the king, the statue of the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So do you think that Nebuchadnezzar was humbled by what God told him? No, he built a stinking statue. Now, I think that the roof... The height of the roof might be 30 feet, maybe a little bit more. If you tripled the height of our ceiling, that's how tall his statue was. So my question is, why did Nebuchadnezzar set up a gold statue? I get to answer. <laughs> Pride. He considered, he considered himself worthy to be worshipped. Even his image, even his image, the statue is deserving of worship. It would be one thing if the king stood up there and said, see me, I'm all that in a bag of chips, I want you to bow down. No, he said, I want you to actually do that to a statue that isn't me. That is full-blown narcissism. He thinks he is God. He is worthy of praise. Wow. Wow. I think he took the message God said and sort of went sideways on it, right? So let's read the next part. We're going to read um, verse, oh, I, I, I went too far. I didn't go far enough. Excuse me. Let me read four through seven. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. What? So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue and King, the King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So if we can envision this statue that's three times the, the height of our uh, that our ceiling, it's nine feet wide, but, uh, you know, and it's pretty massive, right? It is for the whole uh, leadership of Babylon to see and to worship. But funnily, funnily, but interestingly enough, right next to it is a furnace. Hey, you get to, cho you get to choose to either bow down to this image or become a crispy critter. Now, I hope none of us have that choice to make. That'd be horrible if our culture said, if you don't believe a certain way, you will be destroyed. Oh, I guess that is what our culture says. Um, let me think here. <laughs> don't go on social media. <laughs> right? You can't, you're not free to say what you think. Is that true? Uh, maybe I'm old. Is it just old people that don't get it? It's not safe to have an opinion because you, you can be obliterated. 
I don't want to, I, I was at a church one time, I was preaching, one guy came up to me and said, are you of this political party? He asked me what political, I go, I really don't want to tell you. <laughs> it's not that I'm afraid of being, having an opinion, I think it's really important, but it, do I really want to deal with what you think of what I think? Our culture is not safe to have an opinion that is against what the popular opinion is. It just isn't. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. So there's this great opinion that the culture believes, and if you don't believe it, you will be torched. I, I, I saw recently where Matthew McConaughey, evidently he gave a, a, an acceptance speech for an award, and, and he's a Christian, and he was saying and, and giving glory to God. And he said, as he looked around, he knew some of his fellow actors were Christians, and, and they started to applaud, and then they, they looked around and went, oh. I can't applaud, I can't have a, a reaction to support somebody because I'm so concerned what somebody is going to think of me. Might, inf might actually impact my paycheck. Hmm. All right, so we're going to read. How are we doing so far? Okay. <laughs> we're not even into the story yet. Here we go. All right, verse 8. We're going to read 8 through 12. But some of the astrologers, so this is the, the, the uh, magi or the magicians, or the, you know, they're astrologers, right, the wise guys. Some of the astrologers went to the king and informed, informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, live long, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into the, burn, the blazing furnace. But there were some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you put in charge of the province of Babylon. They paid no attention to you, your majesty. They refused to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you set up. Why did the, why did the astrologers inform on the Jews? I can tell you, they were jealous. You probably knew that. They were jealous because the Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they got the corner office. Right? They were, they were in a position of authority. Everybody knew that they were in authority. And, and the, their co-workers said, now, of course, you don't deal with co-workers that are jealous at all, but, or maybe if you don't, you might be the, no, no, I would not say that. <laughs> Right, So all of a sudden, the, the, the Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't bow down, and everybody says, instead of worshiping the, 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 the statue, they're looking around going, oh, we got them. Why didn't the Jews worship the statue? I got the answer there too. Ten Commandments. They were following a law that God gave them. He said, God, their creator, the one that they sort of believed in, just kidding, they fully believed in, don't put other gods ahead of me. They weren't concerned about the king Nebuchadnezzar because they believed that Yahweh, their God, was more important, more powerful, more important to impress and obey than this king uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Interesting philosophy. Let's read on. Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought before him. When they, that when they were brought in, <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the burning fire or burning furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Now, again, 
You've got a 90-foot tower, 90-foot statue, and right next to it, there's a furnace. This is being played in public arena. Everybody's watching this. Why was the king enraged? I don't know if that's what it is. Oh, the king is in rage, in a rage. Why did the king give the Jews a second chance? First of all, he's ticked off why. Because all of the people see that these three guys are not obeying. Do you think that's safe for a king to let people disobey him? The answer is no. So he's, but, but why, didn't, why didn't he just throw them into the, the, the furnace the first time? Why did they, he give them a second chance? I have an answer. Because they were valued subjects to the king. Even though they didn't obey, he still saw value in them. He didn't want to kill them. We see that in the Bible often, that people of God, the, the, the leaders loved them and didn't want to kill them, but because of a word spoken or because of the pressure around them, they were forced to act. Notice the change, though. Is it true is it true that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the golden? Is it true? Notice that he is saying, I can't believe you wouldn't. Haven't I given you everything? Is it true? Notice the way he's dealing with these rebels. And the next part. Your alternative is a blazing furnace. What God will be able to rescue you from my power? Oh, all of a sudden, our story becomes very, very clear, right? We're going to see that our story becomes not just about me or against the, the, the three boys versus Nebuchadnezzar, right? It isn't Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego versus King Nebuchadnezzar. It is the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego against the God of Nebuchadnezzar, right? Why don't you serve my gods, right? As the story points, you know, well, let's do this, ready? As, as this, this story is pivoting right now, and so I want to pull back the curtain and tell you the rest of the story, right? So the confrontation isn't just about these guys. It's really a spiritual confrontation, right? Uh, and the, the battle between the God of Israel, Yahweh, and other gods is not new. That, that's an old story. That's been going on forever, right? Um, so I, I want to talk to you a little bit about, before we go into the story, I want to talk to you the difference between God and gods. So this is a Christian perspective, so bear with me. Biblically, Christians, we recognize that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as three distinct persons in one Godhead. The Jews call him Yahweh, which means God. That's comfortable. Uh, he is the creator and sovereign over all creation. That's, that's what Christians typically believe. <clears throat> Here's what a, a first century pastor Paul actually spoke about that, about the conflict, about the clash, and why there's a clash in our culture. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he says, it tells us that Satan which is the deceiver, an angel that had fallen away and rebelled. He's deceiving. Uh, he, he, is, he is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Oh, so if you don't believe, it's not just you not thinking about thinking it's a good idea. This is, right? If you don't believe, I get it. But spiritually, it's because there is a spirit around you blinding you. Now, you may not be aware of that. But that's what, that's what we read in the Bible. There's a spirit that is designed to blind you, blind your minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Well, that's just a lot of words about glory. So I, I hope, hopefully I said this. Oh, good deal. So there's a continual battle for the minds of those who don't believe. 
The good news is that God is not like other gods. So let me just break it down this. I hope I said this way. I'll read it first. God says that you need a savior. You need somebody that that will take care of your sin issue and redeem you. That's what God says. And Jesus came from heaven and became the Savior for you. That's what the Christian faith is. Uh, God says, gods say something different. They say that you can do it yourself. If you work harder and sacrifice more, you will be okay. And then I can't read that, but that's okay. What's that? You will become like God. So, Every other God, this is the truth, every other God, every other false religion, every other different religion says one way, shape, or form, you can do certain things and you will be okay. Everyone I know says you can become better. The, the, if you're familiar with humanism, that's basically the mother of all false religions, I think. Humanism is a statement that says man can become like God. Now, that, that's an old-timey. That's the Garden of Eden stuff. The belief that man, in and of himself, can become better is called humanism. And it is direct opposition to what God says. God says, you can't be better without help. That's the, that's the difference. Uh, the two camps, you're either in one, one camp or the other. See, I, I didn't lie to you you got to be in one camp or the other. You either believe you need help or you don't need help. Right? Is that true? I think it's true. That's why I said it. Now, I want to define a false god. A false god is, is someone or something that is highly revered, followed devoutly, sacrificed for, looked to for meaning in life and deliverance from problems. Now, in the Old Testament, gods were visual. They were poles and rocks and statues, and they had characteristics, and they did certain things for you, right? Like there was a god that, that was in charge of rain, and if you prayed to this god and you got rain, then you got crops, and then you got crops, you got money. So basically you got wealth and there, there were gods that brought fertility, you know, so you want fertility so you can have kids, so your kids can work the farm, so you can make money. All the gods really were designed to make me want more. The problem is, how do we fit into this story? And so I'm going to hurt you. Ready, everybody? You ready for this? I want to talk about some gods that are here today. You're not going to like this. I know that. I, I, I just stood up here going, they're not going to like what I'm going to say. But, but we're, the, the good part is, whether you're a Christian or not, this applies to everyone. So again, you're part of this story. These are gods that, that are in our culture, but it applies to each one of us. So here we go. Ready? <clears throat> Power and authority. Now again, there's, not, there's nothing wrong with any of these necessarily, except when it becomes higher than God. That's the problem. Right? So be very clear. We all get imp impacted by this. Power and authority, entertainment and amusement, popularity and status, education, beauty, comfort. Anybody hurt so far? I, I got to hit somebody by now. The, those are, there's nothing wrong with the, the ideas of any of those unless it becomes more important than God. That's what a false God does, right? He puts it over, but that isn't even the end of the list, right? Okay. <laughs> substances. Substances, we know that one far too well. Family. Family can be, wait a minute, I, I, I think family is the most important thing in the world, except if it becomes ahead of God. I have a rule, a, a, an agreement with my wife. We're almost married 44 years. I love God more than I love her. Because God is the only one that can tell me how to really love my wife, because I don't get it. I said 44 years didn't, didn't, didn't make me any smarter on how to love my wife. Putting my family ahead of God is an idol. Religion. Religion can be an idol. 
Boy, doing the religious stuff, checking the boxes, making sure that you're you know, doing things that you think are going to please God. If God isn't ahead of what you think is right, it can be an idol. Science absolutely can be an idol. Sex can be an idol. Money can be an idol. Yourself, that's the, the key. Everything really is centered around all about me. And I know, I said this before, you guys have seen this gig. I know each one of you are selfish. Every one of you. As long as your elbows bend your hands toward you, <laughs> it is all about me first. I want to care for me first. I want to feed me first. I, want to, I can't do that anymore. I, I want to make sure that I'm cared for first. Our elbows lie or tell the truth. Anything different, even if I seem to be caring, sometimes your caring for others is so that you look good. You don't know anybody like that, probably. Just kidding. But all of this is this self stuff. If I put myself ahead of God, that's humanism. That's an idol. It, it, Timothy, actually Paul, the pastor, wrote to Timothy, and he, and he actually nailed it. Watch what he says. This is, and I, I'll just, I wrote it here so you don't have to get into the, the scripture yet. You know this, so this is, he's telling Timothy, you know this, Timothy, that in the last days, and can I tell you, we've been in the last days for the last uh, 2,000 years, probably longer than that. It's just the culture. <clears throat> in the last days, there will be very difficult times. For people will love, them, will love, will love only themselves and their money. <laughs> wow, I could stop there. Uh, so, so funny. People are going to love themselves and their money. They will be boastful, proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others. They have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. That is the two camps. You're either going to love God more or me, 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 me. Uh, they will act religious, but they re will reject the power that can make them godly. S stay away from those people. Some of you want to go, should I leave now? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I want to explore this. There is a group of people that can act religious, but they reject the power that can make them godly. So can I tell you, you can know all about God, but not have the power to make you godly. I think we're going to be talking about that a little bit further on. In fact, I'm pretty confident because I wrote the notes, but okay, here we go, ready. So let's read Daniel. This is the rest of the story. We're going into Daniel chapter 3, 16 through 18. <clears throat> Did I read that? Oh, did I? oh yeah, yeah. Um, forgive me. Beautiful. There it is. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, they, they just got challenged. Worship the statue or go into the flames, right? Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the, into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Can I tell you that is one of the most seminal, most beautiful bits of scripture in the Bible? They said, we don't need to defend ourselves before those people who don't understand. You know that spirit of, of the, the God of the ages that is blinding people? There are people who don't understand why I do what I do. 
They just don't get it. And I love them, but until their eyes are open, they will never really fully understand. My job isn't to defend why God is moving me toward obedience. I, I don't need to defend that to people who don't get it. Does that make sense? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing in front of the king. There's this statue and there's this fire. And they go, you know what? I know you're confused. <laughs> We're not. We're not going to bow down before you. In fact, we believe our God is able to save us. Now, that, that's, a, that's a powerful thing. Because God being able to save us has so many different levels we can talk about. Saving us out of situations is one thing, but the big goal is how do we get saved eternally? Right? Right, right. Back to the point of who do you trust in? Who's going to rescue you? Right? I bet you there's going to be an eternal question about who is going to save me eternally. That's really the, the nut. If God can save me eternally, then I'm not worried about what I go through. And I think these three young men knew that the God that they served had, had saved them, or is going to save them, has promised to save them for eternity. And they were tell, telling the king, I know you don't understand that, King Nebuchadnezzar. I know what I'm saying to you doesn't make any sense. It's blah, 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 blah. I get it. But my God is able to save me physically because he's already saved me eternally. And I'm not worried about the flames because they're going to crush something or maybe burn something that isn't as significant. That's an amazing statement. Let's see what, what notes I had there. We do not need to defend ourselves. The battle is spiritual and not of the flesh. That's really important. Sometimes people that we are around, we don't agree with, you know, we're trying to do what's right and, and that conflicts with somebody else. We have to realize that our battle isn't against that person. That person wants to keep it. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to say, why are you offending me? And Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, we're, we're not about you. We're about something totally different level. We know that God's able to save us from the furnace. God has saved them from the flames of condemnation. What are your flames? <laughs> if God has saved me for eternally, what is this? Lord, help me keep that perspective, right? He will rescue you. <laughs> Watch what he says. God will rescue us from your power. But even if he doesn't, let's be clear, I'm not going to worship you. All right, chapter 3, verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted. Oh, what a picture. Distorted with rage, he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace... The flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Wow. Why did the king order the fire to be seven times hotter? First of all, scientifically, could he do that? No, he can't do that. It wasn't like, oh, it's 40 degrees and I'm going to make it 240. Yeah, I mean, you know, 280. He, he had it at like, I don't know, 600 degrees minimum. He didn't have the ability to go seven times more. He just wasn't in the, in the cards at that point. So what is he really saying? What is this seven times more? Well, in the Bible, the word seven actually has a sense of perfection or completeness. So what this is really telling me, 
this king is so perfectly ticked off. He said, if you can make it seven times harder, that's what I want to happen to these people. It really reflects the king's anger more than his ability to make it hot. Just to let you know, right? Anybody in science will probably vouch for me, I hope. But it looks, it looks it's interesting how these three guys are just trying to obey God and somebody is fully ticked off. You mean I, I can't just do whatever I want? Not if it offends me. <laughs> if you offend the wrong person, you're going to hear it. The king was so offended that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah would not worship him and his gods. Seven is the number of completeness and perfection. The king was completely angry. Why does God, why does God fight with false gods? Absolute, Randy, man, dialed. See, here's the truth. If God is the creator of all things, then false gods are concepts and demonic issues that are created beings. They're lies. They're not even at the same level of God that, that created all things. It's not even a fair fight. But if I'm invested in a God, God will prove to me how stupid it is. So he exposes them as fraud to the world. False gods cannot save anybody from anything. Now, here's the thing that you may not be aware. Some of you might. One of the, some of the stories in the past, we know that, that when Moses was called to, to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, there was a thing called the Ten Plagues of Egypt. And did you know that each one of those plagues represented an Egyptian god or goddess? God is just saying, eh. you know, basically, you have the goddess of water. And God says, I'm going to turn it to blood. We have a, we, there was a God with a frog face. And God says, I'm going to give you a lot of frogs. There was a God of dirt. He says, you want lice? Have some lice. God is more powerful than any contraption man can make up. The only person who's confused is me. Do you know the story of Jonah and the big fish? It wasn't a whale, it was a big fish. Do you know why it was a big fish? And why I can tell you it was a big fish? Because it was in the city of Nineveh. Guess what their god was? Yes, it was a fish. <laughs> so this big fish, which is the god of Nineveh, swallows Jonah, and then three days later, that should tickle somebody's ears, three days later, he spit out onto the beach. We have a picture of a death and a resurrection like somebody, know, somebody we know. We also know that there was a point where the ark was put in the temple of Dagon. Dagon was the most powerful god of the, of the Philistines and it falls down and crumbles just at the presence of God. So I want to ask you a question. What is happening in Babylon? What is the real struggle because we know it's not Nebuchadnezzar and the three boys. It's God and the false God. So I, I just want to share something with you that might not be true. Let's see what I can do. Oh, I'm, I was going the wrong way. So this is a picture of a God. And if you don't know who he is, that's okay. But it is the God called Moloch. Now, you can see this, this god, Moloch, has his arms open, right? And what's happening is that this god, Moloch, would take people's children and they would burn the child. Sometimes they called it putting your child through the fire. Every time it talked about the, the killing of innocent blood, but you know why people did that? Do you think they said, oh, I, I have plenty of kids, I can get rid of this one? Many times, the, the custom is you would, put, you, you would give your oldest child, the, the child of promise, through the fire for this reason. 
so that you and their children and your family could be assured of an afterlife. People were killing their children for their own benefit. People were killing their children in order to get eternal life. That's what they thought. That's what this is all about. This is about Moloch saying people would just, for their own well-being, for the well-being of the parent, they would do that. Daniel 3. Oh, did I go too far? No, no, we're good. Okay. Did I go too far? Where am I going? Oh, I'm going. I'm so hilarious. I'm pushing. Silly me. My bad. Okay. So let's look at uh, verse 24. But suddenly, so the boys are in the fire, right? They're in the fire. It says, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Can I tell you, first of all, the Greek writing of the Old Testament says that the reason why King Nebuchadnezzar came was that he heard singing. The king sees a God in the fire. We see that God may not take us out of the flames, but he's always, he promises always to be with us in the midst. This story actually is like Jonah. Three boys go into a furnace which represents death. But when they step out, it re represents resurrection. See, I think God is playing with this God of Moloch. I think that there's this statement that says, you think you can provide eternal life? You ain't got nothing. The source of eternal life is resurrection. And the only resurrection available is through the God of Israel, Yahweh. God deals with this God just like he did with the other gods. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the flames, it represented death. When they stepped out, it represented resurrection from the dead. No God can claim that. Education can't do it. Science can't do it. Popularity can't do it. Money. You can't do it. We're finishing up. We're almost done. Thank you for hanging in there. Uh, <clears throat> 27, then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair of their heads were singed. Their clothes were, were not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angels to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race, nation, or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they should be torn limb to limb, and their houses be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no God that can rescue like this. Then the God promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to an even higher position in the province of Babylon. What can take away, what do we take away from this account? Right? The, the, the part of the statement that says, who can rescue you? Well, I want to I I tell you that if, if you have not committed your life to follow Jesus yet, this is what I want you to take away. That the gods of this world, the ones we've listed, and there's plenty more, that they may bring you temporary pleasure, 
but they will never truly satisfy. Resurrection only comes through God. Romans 10 tells us this. If you openly, this is the solution. If you openly, openly declare that Jesus is Lord, which means I trust and recognize that, that Jesus is the supreme, the sovereign. If, that's what, if you declare that and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, which is the power that changes people. If I believe in the power of resurrection, that is the power that changes me from who I am to who I'm supposed to be. If I believe that, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. Oops, my bad. Aha, I've got to go to the other button, my bad. If you, for it is by believing in your heart that you, that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. What if you're already a Christ follower? The takeaway is this. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. It's not the story. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That's the story. That is a, as clear as I could give you what Christianity is, and why the culture of this world is so different and why there's such a clash. Jesus said it this way, you have to serve someone. You, you will either love yourself, the world, money, or you'll love God. There's, there's only two options. You have to be in one camp or the other. That's really the choice. So I, I want to pray for us. Can I do that? Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is only one choice. The real choice isn't whether I'm going to be a nicer person. <laughs> it's really whether I'm going to choose to serve you or not. It's really who I worship. So I, I ask right now, Father, that you would touch hearts and touch minds. That you open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to hear a message that truly changes us. I thank you for the word because it's so beautiful. And I pray that you would be glorified uh, by this word and by how we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen.